Today on Never Was a Gamer, I'm not sure what a Metroid is, but I guess he's extra good in this one. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time discovering everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is our world map that gives you most but not all of the information you need, Dimitri. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. My goal is to be a little bit more helpful than most maps. That would be honestly great. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We're really happy you're here. Uh, This is your first time listening. You are getting in on the ground floor because this is our first real episode, and we are so excited about it. If you want to hear us talk at length about our backgrounds, our big questions for this podcast, and our vision of what we want these conversations to be about, you can go back and listen to episode zero, where we dig into all that good stuff and a whole bunch more. The short version is Dimitri's been into games his whole life. I, on the other hand, only really came to them as an adult. And while now I'm hooked and I play a lot of stuff, I missed like 90% of game history. So this podcast is going to be about playing those big old games, those big, big boys, and talking about what they mean to us, both Dimitri and I, from each of our perspectives. Um, Is that a pretty accurate summary? Yeah, and we're really going to start off by talking about some major franchises of some of Michelle's biggest blind spots. Like she said, she plays a ton of stuff, but she's never played a Metroid. Mm -hmm. She's never played a Zelda. Mm -hmm. She's never played a 3D Mario. Yeah. She's never played a Metal Gear. Mm -hmm. She's never played a Grand Theft Auto. Nope. She's never played a Crash Bandicoot. I never will. <laughs> and so I think for the the first few episodes are really going to be going over some of these major blind spots, the games that Michelle hears about all the time, hears me talk about all the time, mm-hmm. hears her media personalities that she listens to talk about all the time, but has never actually played herself. Yeah. And so today we're going to start off by talking about Super Metroid, her first ever Metroid game. This is going to be the first of two episodes about Super Metroid. Because as we mentioned on episode zero, each game that we play is going to have two parts. And so today we're not actually going to be talking about Michelle's experience with the game, but rather we'll be preparing her to play the game. So the goal for today is to talk about um, what she might know and not know about um, Super Metroid or the Metroid series in general, Mm -hmm. to give her a bit of the game's history, and to discuss what I hope will be some useful context for her playthrough. Totally. Are you excited? I'm actually very excited. Um, There's a reason why we picked this to be the first game that we would go through. And that's that I'm coming into this, like really hyped to play this game. Yeah, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Because when we were deciding what game to start with, I mean, this game was always on the list. We were always going to play it eventually. But I feel that recently your interest in this game has really intensified to the point where this became our our starting game. So what is it that's gotten you really excited about this game recently? (laughs) Um, So this is going to sound really stupid because none of these are like big, uh, really thoughtful reasons. But I mean, first of all, I just like space stuff. It takes very little to talk me into uh, being a Marine or a combat guy in space. A combat guy? (laughs) A combat guy or girl. Ooh, yeah, I know Samus is a girl. So that's that's one thing. Um, I like atmosphere and vibes. But the big thing that was a turning point recently is you and I played a little bit of Smash Ultimate that came out this year. 
And as we were going through that, I just I really like all the Metroid levels in in Smash. Uh, I really like the art. And I don't know, I just as we were playing around with that stuff, something inside me just started to be like, yes, more of more of this. I want this. Let's let's play this more. Do you remember what specifically it was about the the levels or which of the levels that uh, really piqued your interest? I like spooky space shit. That's spooky the best I can tell you. <laughs> okay. So that's what you're hoping for? That's all I got. That's what I want. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know also I've I've heard that there's like I, I think I've liked all the art I've ever seen from from Metroid, which is not very much. I just I just feel ready to like this game. Not for any better reason than I've just told you. That's good. Hopefully it doesn't disappoint. This is one of my favorites, but another reason that we're we're talking about it and talking about it so early is that it's a lot of other people's favorites. It still appears on Right, kind of best games of all times lists. Not terribly long ago, it appeared as the best game of all time on an EGM list. Whoa! So it, it keeps coming up. It's it always shows up on the list. It's I think you'll see incredibly influential in some evident and not so evident ways. And so I think it's a good uh, it's a good starting point. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I know like I think I became familiar with the term like Metroidvania before I even really internalized the idea that Metroid was like a series of games that existed. So obviously, also that's part of my interest is like I've never played a Metroid, and Metroidvania is sort of this like big genre term that gets thrown a lot around a lot. So okay, yeah, maybe we should unpack that, especially if there might be some listeners who aren't familiar with this term. I certainly was not the first. <laughs> Do you remember when you heard it the first time? So I don't I don't remember the specific first time. I know that it definitely would have been on a podcast I would have been listening to about games. Um, I think, you know, when I started getting back into games and listening to games media, which I, I read a fair bit of reviews and written like longer form criticism, but um, I, I would say I get most of my timely stuff from podcasts. Definitely there was a period where there were a lot, a lot, a lot of terms being thrown around that clearly sort of presumed that the entire audience would like people would say, oh, this new game that's coming out, it's sort of a Metroidvania and it's always sort of in this tone where it's like, well, you know what a Metroidvania, you know, and I know it's the Metroids and the Castlevanias like you were there. And it's like, no, I, I wasn't there for so, any of that. So when you first heard it, did it even click that what it is, is this like portmanteau of Metroid no. and Castlevania? No, I had no. I was just like, OK, that's <laughs> I, I see. And so I think I pieced it together just from context clues. Like, you know, I would hear people say. Like Hollow Knight, for example, just to pick a recent example, yeah. um, I'm I might have heard that described as like it's a well they would say maybe a Souls like Metroidvania, but a Metroidvania where you're sort of going through this interconnected area and getting new skills that help you get to areas you haven't been before and exposing more and more of the map. So in that sort of way, I think I gradually pieced together sort of a functional, intuitive sense of what the word means when people are using it to describe a particular style of game. But that's very much just from hearing it used over and over and over again and starting to be like, OK, I guess it means this. OK, so what is your working definition? You touched on some of the the key points, but if you had to do a, a one sentence, this is what <laughs> I think it is. Summarize a genre in one sentence. Genre, all, all that's not even things. a genre that is. Yeah. Summarize this uh, debated okay. term. <laughs> My sentence is genre is hard. <laughs> that's yeah. Funny. Okay, but I mean, if I'm okay, I think that a Metroidvania to me, in my working, my working understanding, is it's about navigating one 
one whole space that is interconnected and made up of lots of smaller like rooms or screens or whatever you would like to call them. That's uh, so I think a signature Metroidvania experience would be, okay, I'm going through a room or a space. I can see that like, okay, over to the left there, it looks like there's a, there's a route that I can go out that way, but I don't have a good enough jump to be able to get there. Um, but I can go up in this other direction and then eventually sometime later in the game, I'll beat a boss or open a chest or something that gives me like a double jump or a jump hover or something like that. And so then I'll realize, oh, if I backtrack now I can go that other direction and open up a whole other thing. So lots of navigating around, upgrading sort of skills that let you access new places. And the goal is sort of exploring every nook and cranny of this map. Okay, so something like nonlinear exploration is part of it. Part of it is... Okay, he sounds smart. He gets to say it in one sentence because he was able to prepare his definition. (laughs) (laughs) But... But also, right, that character progression seems to be a big yeah. part of it. Um, and backtracking that you said, right, backtracking mm-hmm. um, is hopefully pleasurable. Right. Um, often, I think, in a lot of games, you th- you think of backtracking something that is kind of tedious. Mm, right, right. But in this, we'll, we'll use genre right now. Sure. Uh, backtracking is supposed to be pleasurable. And like you said, as you go through, you note places that you can't yet access, but you try to keep a, a mental note of where they are. So you can come back once you get some kind of right. item or ability that will allow you to go there. right. I would say also in the what a Metroidvania is, I think they tend to be 2D. Like you're, I, I don't know if there are any, uh, whatever. I don't know if there are any 3D ones or if the term would include that, but. I mean, that's a good question, right? Because the term, it's just, it's not a. Yeah, because I definitely picture like um, sort of a 2D platformer a little bit. Mm-hmm. With like some simple combat elements, I'll say with like, so I mean, maybe relevant here to say I've played. I've played Symphony of the Night. I've played that one Castlevania game. We've played a bit of it anyway. <laughs> we played it together. We played it together. And even that, we honestly, traded off. only in the last year or so, mm-hmm. we picked that up. And this is not... So another thing about these styles of games, not the easiest to just trade off. Yeah, we figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> we started out really flipping back and forth, and then we sort of settled into roles with like... I think I took on more of the navigator thing, and at a certain point, you were just doing a lot of the the actual like combat and stuff. Yeah, the Castlevanias tend to be more kind of combat heavy. Okay. And yeah. I don't know, at least for me, I think more difficult than than the Metroids. I mean, we'll we'll see. You'll have a little bit of a comparison. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I mean, that's the main Metroidvania that I've... I mean, I also last year played Yoku's Island Express, which is a combat-free like pinball Metroidvania, I think is how it gets described. Right, like already you're pushing at the limits yeah. of, of this term. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that why, like, you've mentioned a couple of times that you don't, you're you're sort of calling it like a genre in like big um, air quotes. What's, uh, what's your, you seem to not like this term. I don't know. I don't, I understand why it is, it could be useful. Uh, maybe I'll turn this on you and then I can respond a little sure. bit. Because I, I guess I'm interested as somebody who came in not knowing what this was as sounds like, right, you had to kind of figure it out. Do you find it a useful term? And do you, did you find it kind of alienating as a term, right? Because it's, it's a term that's, less descriptive as a genre instead of just two games that you had not played at a time <laughs> thrown together. Like as, as somebody who's coming to games, hearing this term thrown about, does that kind of alienate you from from even wanting to engage? I mean, it does. But honestly, there's this this will sound weird. There's so much about becoming part of the games community that is alienating towards <laughs> 
like noobs that this was such a minor blip. Like it, it was a thing that I had to figure out to be able to enjoy podcasts that I wanted to listen to. But on the scale of stuff that I found weird and off-putting when I started to, to really like get passionate about games and consume more, more media about them, it was not a big one. So I guess like, do I find it useful? Um, I mean, I guess I do kind of know at this point, or at least I think I know, what people are trying to articulate when they call something a Metroidvania. So to that extent, and and to the extent that we want to say a game has the elements that we just talked about, like with the spatial stuff and backtracking and and you know um, that exploration basis. I mean, I guess it I guess it does sometimes help me understand what playing a game will be like, like what I'll be asked to do in a game. Right. But you don't call like a a platformer a Mario. (laughs) I would love to start. (laughs) I mean, this is a trend that you see, right? Like there's like roguelike as the genre that's used. And that's like because they're games that are like rogue or we now use. Right. Souls-like as yeah. those are also, I find a little bit annoying, but at least it's just, it's more descriptive. It's like a game like this. Right. Whereas. Metroidvania, I'm pretty sure how it was what it was originally intended to do was to differentiate early Castlevanias from the Koji Igarashi Castlevanias, so Symphony of the Night onward. Oh, they're not all they're not all like that? No, like the the earlier ones, the NES ones and four on the on the Super NES are much more action oriented. They're not they're kind of much more linear, not really about this kind of oh. backtracking and exploration. Oh, and so, I did not know that. So when the term was first used, I think it was used to distinguish this set of Castlevanias from the others by saying, right, these are the Metroidvanias. These are the Castlevanias that that have like elements like Metroid. Okay. So Metroid actually was the originator of this structure. I don't know if I'd say it was the originator of the whole structure. It's the kind of the one major touchstone that a lot of people go back to. But again, to say that was the first that did these things, I think would be oversimplifying. Well, and I guess it's still just like a specific combination of mechanics or whatever that would have appeared in other things, right? right? So it's like pulling pulling this element from this and that element from that. And when we put it together in this very specific format, we get this sort of dynamic that we call now a Metroidvania. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see why that would be frustrating for you to hear. I guess I just like, in some sense, a lot of the descriptive words that we use to categorize games or media pieces are sort of shorthand terms of convenience, right? And in in some ways with I mean, I think it's I think it's probably bad because it depends on you knowing, I guess, a which Castlevanias we're talking about and not and which Metroids we're talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I do kind of understand why we want to have a word for that specific thing. So I don't know. Is it is your would you find this term useful if it just wasn't these the specific words, but it was still naming something of this structure? Or is it the the do you just find it not a useful way to articulate what a game is? I think when I'm, especially when we talk about like genre terminology with games, I just always lean towards the idea that the genre name should communicate something more clearly about what you're doing, like what your verb set is. Okay. So there's a platformer or it's a like shooter. A, like a platform explorer or something like that? Yeah. Like and, so, a and that's like non-linear exploration platformer, exploration platformer with okay. character progression is a mouthful. Snappy. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe, yeah, maybe like the elements that go into it are just so varied that we can't simplify it. And so this is kind of the easiest way to do it. Right. But I still, yeah, I always still think like, oh, this is, if somebody's coming into games, they're going to see this word and they're going to be, okay, I'm out. I just feel (laughs) like I don't even want to take part in this. 
Yeah. I mean, it definitely is one of those things that I get the sense this term is sort of invisible to people who have come up in in games discourse for a long time. It definitely is a little weird from the outside. Because it really only started picking up, I think, in like the 2010s. Like it's not... Oh, really? Because you needed kind of Symphony of the Night out and then you needed a bunch of other Castlevanias to do that Okay. for it to become useful to actually be able to segment a group of Castlevanias. And then it kind of got picked up. And I mean, in a lot of ways, games that follow this model much more closely, like you mentioned Hollow Knight, are only pretty recent. They are only kind of post-indie game boom and the move back to 2D. Okay. Really, um, kind of these kind of 2D games, there are a lot on the Game Boy, but on major consoles, on home consoles, there was so much push to 3D and 2D was treated as kind of lesser for so many years. Okay. It was like a sort of last gen thing at a certain point. Yeah, where two, even beautiful 2D art kind of connoted to a lot of people. Like, yeah, last gen. Okay. Okay. And so it took a while, I think, for for the genre to for people to have nostalgia about it, for it to become lucrative again, for right. there to be distribution models they could use to push them out. So would you say there are no like that Metroidvanias are inherently 2D or would you say that there are 3D versions of this? I don't even know what that that's would look like. That's a question that we'll explore oh. <laughs> in the future on this podcast. <laughs> OK. Yeah. And I think that's I, that's one of the reasons that starting with Super Metroid, I think, is going to be really useful because this genre, if you want to call it that, if we especially if you consider it 2D only, disappeared pretty much after Symphony of the Night for years. Um, apart from some Castlevania games on Game Boy Advance. But I think you see a lot of these elements pop up in 3D games, and that might be something to keep in mind as we move through the rest of this history. Awesome. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad that baggage is out of the way. Yeah. I think Um, we have to talk about that up top. I will try to not use that term again, but it might be more annoying if I don't use it than if I do use it. (laughs) I'll probably use it again. Especially now, I feel like after I've also played one of the signature Metroid games, I will feel more entitled to use it with confidence than I do before, where I'm like, I think I'm using this right, (laughs) you know, like just from context. So what else is it that you know about Metroid as a series? Okay, so a lot of what I know, I think, is about Samus. So, so I know it's Samus. You know what? You know it's Samus. I think you know that mostly from Smash, right? Is that where you first? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think her last name is Aaron or Aaron, like A R A N. Yeah, yeah. And she's a she, obviously. I think you don't find out that she's female until the end of the game. Yeah, at the end of the first one, if you beat it under a certain amount of oh, time. Th- this isn't the first one. No. Okay. This is the third one. Okay. This is the third. So are there two on the original There's Nintendo? Metroids on the Nintendo, and then the sequel is Samus Returns on the Game Boy. Oh, okay, okay. Which was just remade on the 3DS a few years ago. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, at the at the end of the first one, if you beat it quickly enough, you'll see her without her helmet. Mm-hmm. And if you beat it very quickly, you'll see her without her suit in a in a little bikini as your as your reward. I wish you could see these eye rolls. Great, <laughs> perfect. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember when I said Metroidvania wasn't the least off-putting <laughs> or wasn't the most alienating thing. Um, okay, so yeah. So I know about Samus and the suit. I know kind of what the suit looks like. Like I have a visual on Samus that's like okay. halfway between like a astronaut suit and like a um, – it's red and yellow. It it kind of looks like um, – what's it called? The Juggernaut? He like runs into <laughs> things like a rhinoceros. Like from X-Men? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he runs. Yeah, he runs the things like the Juggernaut. Like the Juggernaut, I not suppose. To con- not to be confused with the Rhino. No, that's a different guy. Who also guy. runs a thing. He's not red and yellow, though, right? No, he's, he's he looks like a Rhino. Okay, great. 
Yeah. But, you know, it's not bulky like that. Anyway, whatever. It's like a sort of armor suit. Yeah, like the shoulder pads. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think there's a gun. I don't know if it's an arm cannon like Mega Man style or if it's a gun, but I know there's there's like shooting in this game. Um, I don't I'm not sure what I don't know if Metroid is like her role or her like status like I don't know what I don't know what she's I don't know if she's part of like uh I mean I called her a space marine before I don't know if it's like a paramilitary Mm. group or so you don't know what Metroid refers to no no if I had to guess I would guess it's something to do I I think like it describes her like someone doing what she does so she is a Metroid or the Metroid something I mean the fact that (laughs) The, the fact that you're pushing me on this makes me think that it's not, but whatever, that if you hadn't... I just I, want you to say that she is the Metroid. <laughs> Samus or the Metroid. <laughs> okay, so I guess Samus is not the Metroid. I don't know what a Metroid is, apparently, but it's super in this one. Um, yeah, what else? Oh, I know, um, I know also on top of shooting, I think at some point Samus can like turn into a little ball and, and okay. move through things, like get real small. Yeah. In a little metal, like like a little armadillo. <laughs> I think I have a visual picture of that. Okay. I don't know if you start with, I don't know if that inherently is a power or if that's a power up, but whatever. Um, what else do I know? Oh, I know about Rid- Ridley or Ripley or I think it's Ridley. I, th- I think it's Ridley. And what what is a Ridley? A Ridley. So I know Ridley also from Smash Ultimate because he, he she, they are... Ridley is in that. Um, Are you sure it's Ridley, not Ripley? No, I'm not sure. I think it's an aliens joke, but like... <laughs> they both the, work. No. <laughs> I know, your mnemonic device fails you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he's like a, a space dragon dinosaur thing. He's got like a pterodactyl head, but like little dragon wings and like big claws. I think when I, I think when he was revealed in Smash, I asked you what he was and I think you told me he is a bounty hunter. I don't think I said that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he's not a bounty hunter, but that is what I thought. And he's still a space kind pirate. of think. Okay. I can tell you that. Okay. He has a ship, right? Because that's in Smash, I think. He like flies away on his ship. Oh, yeah. And I think like blasts right. you. This is the kind of uh, insider knowledge that I've garnered through Smash. So yeah, I know about him. I know that, I think I remember hearing that like isolation is a really big theme in these. I don't know if that's this one or, because I know there's like a long, I know Metroid is like a long series. And also I know that there's Metroid Primes, but I don't know if those are just like how the series continues or if they're like a spinoff. Like I, I don't know what that structure is or anything like the relationship between yeah i don't okay. know yeah we can talk about that okay after you finish super metroid and hopefully one day you'll actually be playing one of the primes okay yeah so because i have no idea what what those are i know people also like the primes um yeah i think that's i think that's most of it and so you're into this idea of of isolation that those kind of uh vibes yes appeal oh my to you. god yes Space plus like isolation, kind of spooky, borderline isolation horror vibes are intensely my thing. I, I'm very into that. So is this something you've experienced with other games that you've played? Good question. I guess I'm I guess I'm leaning mostly on movie like obviously the Alien series. I think like the only other 
the only space games I've really played, I mean, back in the day, I played a fair bit of Star Fox, but that's not that's not heavy in vibes. Um, and I guess the the other big one, uh, like, obviously, I've played a lot of Mass Effect. Oh, yeah. If you listen to our episode zero, oh, you yeah. get uh, Michelle's history with Mass Effect. Oh, or yeah. <laughs> Among other things. Yeah. Would, favorite series of all time? It, it, it was a significant landmark for me. I don't. I don't now think it's the best right. in the world, but it meant something specific to it's me. It's definitely one moment. of the series that got you back into I, yeah, games and yeah, yeah. games. Yeah. That's that's really, really fair. So I know in um, Mass Effect occasionally rubbed up against this. Like there's there's one place you go in Mass Effect 3 that is like uh, an abandoned like Asari monastery where the power is out and it's all broken down. It's like on this isolated station and you fight these like banshee things that are really kind of scary. So it flirts with that a bit. I actually wish it leaned harder into the isolated sort of semi like cosmic horror thing. It, it could have done more of that for me. There's also so much about the team and constructing yeah. a team and yeah, being yeah, with yeah, your yeah. team that I yeah, mean, that's yeah. not a, so isolation is not, it couldn't really be the main thematic. Yeah. There's sort of like the isolation of like Shepard as a leader. Like mm-hmm. there's sort of some trauma stuff that happens in three, but anyway, so yeah, I think that's probably as much as I've ever experienced it in games, which is like not very much. I'd say it's a flirtation, not really, yes, this is the bulk of what we're doing. So another thing that we talk about in in episode zero is how Michelle really likes story-based games mm-hmm. and games that are about mood and atmosphere. Yes. But most of what she plays, I think that, um, that kind of highlight those things tend to be 3D games, much more cinematic, kind of modern cinematic games. Mm-hmm. And you haven't really played too many 2D games since your childhood, I don't think, right? No, I mean, other than, again, like the recent sort of revival 2D stuff, I've played a bit of that. Things like like Yoku or um, what else have I played that's 2D recently? Maybe not. Maybe you're right, actually. Especially like 2D action platformers. Yeah. Action no, games I, you don't I haven't really... played Hollow Knight. I didn't really play Shovel Knight. So one thing that I'm curious about is because you don't have that history with the earlier ones and because we are playing something now from 1994, if this sense of isolation still works for you with this kind of 2D sprite-based game that, mm. I mean... I think it looks beautiful, but it's not your your touch points are different than than mine would be. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I definitely can't think of a especially like a an older 2D game that I think gave me like big mood um vibes, but I mean, I'm I'm kind of like cautiously optimistic about that because the little bits of art for Metroid that I've seen are part of what's like drawn me to this franchise. So, I think there's like I'm I'm I feel prepared for that to work. You know what I mean? Like I feel pretty open to it. But yeah, I don't know. I haven't I I haven't done I haven't played a game like this before. So, we'll see. The other thing I I'm curious about is do you have any expectation for what Metroid the series is about? Do you have any kind of story expectations? Uh no. no? I I I honestly I'm expecting this to be pretty light on story okay. and character and lore lore like i i think i'm picturing this being mostly the 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 hook of this game being very much like about the fun of the traversal and the combat and everything as opposed to being like really this big plotty like who is samus as a person like i i think you didn't expect to learn much about no character no i'm i'm really assuming she's just like another combat guy in space do you you have any sense of her as a character at all i i would I will be surprised, please, but I'll be surprised if there's much 
there. Like I'm, you know, she's like running around in a, a shooting aliens. Like I'm not, I'm not like expecting feminist icon Samus that like has a a, a character arc. I I think this is probably going to be a little a little more stripped down than that. No pun intended. <laughs> not in the bikini sense. <laughs> So one of the goals of today's episode, this kind of um, getting Michelle ready to place for Metroid, and one of the goals of the podcast in general is to try to introduce her to some of the things that were going on at the time of the game's release, Mm -hmm. put her a little bit into the mindset of people who would have been seeing this game maybe in 1994, communicating a little bit about my own experience um, seeing this game. Though, to be fair, I didn't actually play it when it was released. I I played it many years later, and we can... I thought you kind of played everything like back in I was a uh, no like I was I was a kid. We can talk about this a, a bit in uh in a few minutes. Um but I wasn't I I saw this as too old for me maybe. Okay. Which is strange cuz the games that I was playing were much more violent at the time, but there's <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about Super Metroid that like that was that was a game like the old kids played. So like 1994, we would have both been like nine. Don't give away my age. We would have been like uh, between <laughs> eight and ten. <laughs> yeah, we would have been like somewhere in the in the eight to ten neighborhood. So yeah, like, and so you so you had a Super Nintendo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I played a bunch of stuff on Super. And you Nintendo. played a bunch of stuff on Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with your family. Yeah, um, but yeah, you were the oldest, and your brothers would have been quite young. Yeah, like they—they're four and five years younger than me. So I guess if I was like eight or nine at this point, they would be like three to five. Right. In, in age, so they're little. Yeah. So the still. Super Nintendo is kind of your system. Sort of. It's it's sort of the last system that I majorly had hands on. Definitely during the life of the Super Nintendo, that started to change. Okay. Like I started playing with it less and i think the older of my two brothers specifically started picking it up a little bit more not like not in a that wasn't like a loaded process for us like it's not like i remember wanting to play stuff and not being allowed to it just that migration started to happen in this gen so i mean i i would have played stuff on super nintendo like yes, you um, mentioned star fox yeah yeah i i was the only one in my house who could beat star fox i was extremely not an easy game Thank you for saying so. <laughs> um, yeah, I played Donkey Kong Country. Um, Which we'll talk about. Also came out in 1994. Yep. I, I really like Donkey Kong Country. I played that a lot. Beat that one. I would have played... Uh, we played most of the mainline Marios in my house. Right. So you do, yeah, you have the history with the 2D Marios, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. 3D. Yeah. I don't know that I beat... Was it Was it Super Mario World on SNES? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, this is another thing to say is I often, at this time in my house, we were still playing games on original Nintendo at the same time as playing on the SNES. So I have in my head kind of a weird, I always get mixed up about what games are on what of those two systems, because a lot of them, I would have been playing simultaneously. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else I play. I was playing some stuff on Sega Gen, but... Oh, that's I right. You that's, had the Sega Genesis too. Yeah. The two major 16-bit consoles. Yep. But I think that was those were most of my. I mean Mario Kart and stuff. Right. Like I would have played played that. Um, but I think those were most of the SNES games that I 
really good. I played a lot of Uniracers. <laughs> that game's not great, I don't think. Um, I know. So I never played Uniracers, um, but I know it has its fans. <laughs> and it is the team that eventually went on to make Grand Theft Auto. Are you serious? Yeah, there's a there's a direct lineage. That's wild. <laughs> uh, does Grand Theft Auto have like really stupid rubber banding? Uniracers has <laughs> Uniracers has the worst, most exaggerated rubber banding I have ever seen. It is so ludicrous. I remember this is my memory of Uniracers. I know this is a tangent. Being like, I mean, we'll probably never talk about it again. So right. Go so ahead. this is my one shot. Neck and neck with somebody, whether it's computer player or another player, for first place, and it literally just arbitrarily making you rotate <laughs> back and forth which one's in for like it would just speed you up and slow you down but on this incredibly transparent rhythm where it's so obvious and you're just holding over right like you're you're not jumping you're not doing anything to change your speed it just is it's just purely a matter of flipping the coin of who is going to be rubber banded in first at the moment when you cross the finish line oh that game is stupid I assume there's some skill. I'm sure involved. there. I'm sure there is. I haven't played it since I was little. Um, okay, we're canceling this episode. We're going right to Uniracers. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like again, I was I was little. I was sort of playing whatever was in the house. I I don't think we had Metroid in the house. I don't think I don't remember this. It's not like there are games that I remember being around, but I just didn't play them. Right. I don't remember even seeing this in our house. Yeah, and the, the same for me. We just didn't. Yeah, I did. I just didn't play it. Um, I had I didn't play the first one either because I would have been even younger. Yeah, I've actually never finished the original. I just don't have the patience. Too I, hard. Too hard. Um, <laughs> I'm not pulling up the graph paper to make the map. On oh my own. no! Though I mean, I could get a map. The real reason that I'm not going back to it is because they remade it uh, much later on the Game Boy Advance, and I oh. played that one okay. called Metroid Zero Mission. So I feel like I've had the it's optimal like, Metroid One experience. They've like polished off the rough edges a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, and added a bunch of content. And okay, gave yeah. you an in-game map. Like, why would you go back at that point? Yeah, had proper save points. It was uh, save points are great. Yeah, they're really important, really key. <laughs> I like them a lot. Yeah, you got some. You got some good uh, battery back saves in Super Metroid. It was a big feature. Great. I don't know what a, I don't know what a battery back save is. But. Oh, it's just so on on a lot of games, especially in the NES, you get a password instead of it being able to save. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so kind of the battery back save was the... It just does it. What they called it. You could actually save it on the cartridge. Like oh. It would kind of be be stored in memory. Okay. I don't know that I've ever heard that phrase before, but I do know... I have played games where you have to like write down the password and like keep it somewhere. Yeah, you played Mega Man 2 not that long ago for the first yeah. time and you had to write down some passwords. I think like the old Aladdin... Like I, that, those old like Aladdin and mm. Lion King mm-hmm. games and stuff, I think they had also... Like password password, systems, password yeah. saves. So yeah, I guess I also played those a bit back in the day. Didn't beat either of them, but played it. <laughs> I tried. So to bring you back to kind of 1994, the context of 1994, the year which Super Metroid is released, this might be one of my favorite times in gaming. It's 1994 itself is a pretty good year. You have obviously Super Metroid. You have uh, Mega Man X, I think came out in January of that year. So okay. another kind of 2D action shooter. Is that after game? Is that after Mega Man Two, which is the one that I played. Yeah, I think it's after it's after Mega Man Four or Five. It's a, it's a spinoff series. But okay, it would have okay. been on Super Nintendo, right? Because it's not like Mega Man Ten, no. right? It's a separate. It diverts. It, yeah, it's like different. Yeah. Okay. And so that came out. Um, Final Fantasy Six comes out in North America, nineteen ninety four, mm. known as Final Fantasy Three. Donkey Kong Country comes out later in the year, like around Christmas. I think November. It was the big Super Nintendo holiday release in the summer. Earthworm Jim comes out, which 
I did play that. You we, did play Earthworm Jim? I don't think we ever bought it. I think we rented it from Blockbuster Video a okay. couple of times. So I played it as much as I... I played it over like two days. That was another one. These 2D action platformers that got a lot of buzz at the time, especially for its animation kind of its and its attitude. <laughs> um, I don't think it quite holds up. Um, but if you go back, especially read things from 1994, this is like a lot of people see this as the best game ever made, like a game changing wow. game. Okay. Um, at that time... Some uh, publications even gave it Game of the Year over Super Metroid or over Final <laughs> Fantasy VI. And so, on a scale from one to Earthworm Jim being goatee, how bad is your take? <laughs> and so, I, I don't want to judge these people. You know what? In, uh, it's hard in the moment. It's, in it's really hard but, in the moment. But yeah, some some things just don't hold up. Um, but yeah, 1994, pretty pretty good year. Um, but it is kind of a industry in transition year. Because you've got the Genesis, but and especially the Super Nintendo, still doing pretty well, right? There's still kind of these big games coming out. But the uh, the 32-bit era has kind of already started. PlayStation's released in Japan in 1994. Oh, that's actually way earlier than I expected. I, I always find it really... I think I'm like all screwed up about when the PlayStation timeline uh, starts and how it maps onto the Nintendo evolution. So PS1 is like tail end of SNES. Is that right? Yeah, tail end of SNES. Though SNES still has things coming out until 1996, until kind of right before the N64 comes out. But okay. yeah, the PlayStation kind of slots right in between, which also kind of speaks to this moment, right? This transition from 16-bit to 32-bit to eventually 64, from kind of 2D to primarily 3D. So the the SNES is 16 yeah, and okay. the Genesis. That's kind of the 16-bit era. Okay. And then, yeah, the PlayStation is the the 32-bit. And then okay. there's N64. Atari had a 64-bit system. I mean, also 32, you have the Sega Saturn. It's Oh, okay. This kind of just why this is an exciting time. This is, uh, there's so many consoles and competitors in the market, uh, many of which have kind of gotten, been forgotten over time. They just didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many people trying to take advantage of this transitional moment from 2D to 3D and from cartridge to CD. You had the Genesis, right? So did you have any of the CD add-ons, either the Sega CD or the 32X? No, I don't re- I don't think so. I think we only ever, yeah, I think we only ever used cartridges in the Genesis. And we, and yeah, we never had the Saturn. So I think the first, I think the only th- things we had that we had a ps1 in the house and i think that's the first time i remember seeing cds yeah that makes that makes sense and um there is so much um discussion especially from nintendo and i think a little insecurity on their part because they were sticking with cartridges they declared 1994 the year of the cartridge (laughs) i think because it might have sold their billionth cartridge there's a reason but it's still kind of hilarious um i don't know if it's more or less hilarious than declaring the year of luigi (laughs) well they had like (laughs) Twitter idiots helping them with Year of <laughs> Luigi. Like, I although they did they did publish a magazine that was just their magazine about Nintendo stuff, so they could hype the Year of the Cartridge up themselves. They didn't need a, a chorus of dum dums helping. Them <laughs> yeah, but right, they saw the rest of the industry moving towards CDs, and were very much still tied to cartridges for a number of reasons. Mostly because they they load faster. Okay, and CDs are much much easier to pirate, and so it was kind of an anti piracy. I think primarily an anti piracy initiative to they stay with our, to stick with cartridges. They still love keeping such tight control over their stuff. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's the Nintendo I, mean, I know. You, yeah, you don't even <laughs> you have no idea if we go back to. Kind of NES era, maybe we can talk about that on on a future cool, episode. Cool, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they were suing Blockbuster because they didn't want their stuff to be rented. Oh my god! Yeah, like it's 
Okay, that we'll talk about that another time. Put a pin in that for sure. But Nintendo at this point is, uh, they're doing very well. But yeah, there's I think there's clear insecurity about the rest of the industry moving towards CDs and people getting really excited about CDs as a format because you can include kind of cinematic scenes, you can include better quality music. Is it just because there's a there's more space on a CD? Yeah, just the storage. Okay, okay. Right, like if you think of something like Super Metroid, that, that cart is at the time the biggest cartridge of all time and it was three megs. <laughs> She's wee. <laughs> She's just little. Right. So and then when you go from that to a CD storage of, you know, 650 megs sure. or whatever, right, it's, it's kind of an exponential growth. That's so a can, leap, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you can throw on pre-rendered cinematics, you can throw on CD quality music and um, still have the storage space for the game. Right, right. Uh, but Nintendo is still kind of steadfast believing in their in their cartridges. Because N64 is cartridge too, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's not until GameCube that they, they make little this. mini discs, right? The yeah. little tiny ones. Yeah. Again, the little ones, um, because harder to hire, harder to pirate. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. So they're so they declared the year of the cartridge. They've still got some things coming out, but in kind of the mainstream media, it's very clear that there's still these gaps between major Nintendo releases. Still something that people complain about. Yeah, always I've heard that about. one this year. Yeah. <laughs> Too long since a Zelda. When's the next Zelda? Yeah. Come? So and a lot of the big franchises are already have had their Super Nintendo iterations. Mario, right? It launched with Mario World. Um, Star Fox is already out. Mm-hmm. Mario Kart's already out. Link to the Past is already out. And so Super Metroid is kind of the next big move from 8-bit to 16 of one of their kind of major franchises. I, I almost put that in scare quotes at the time because Metroid's popular, but it wasn't it wasn't even close to their most popular. It okay. was more popular in the US than in Japan. Oh, that's um, interesting. For for a number of reasons. Um and still in a lot of ways is more popular with Western audiences. I think because of I don't know, like I'd guess because action oriented and right. still and it's very much like rooted in Western movie iconography. Okay. But people were still very excited for this in nineteen ninety four as and waiting for Nintendo to have one of their big releases. And really that year, in terms of their first party releases, it was that and Donkey Kong Country. Okay. All right, and Donkey Kong Country, as you may remember, had pretty fancy graphics. It looked great. That tried to replicate not quite three D, but Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a definite like background layer that had a lot more I mean, it's still just like pixel art, really, mm-hmm. but it's much more dimensional than a lot of the just like flat tile backgrounds that are in other other games. Yeah, I yeah, remember so that. So that's, again, one of their ways that they're trying to compete with these more advanced systems that are already released as they as they get ready to put out the N64 in only in North America in 1996. Okay, um, so we're still two years out from yeah, the... Yeah, but there are rumblings. Um, it has a name. And initially, the code name was Project Reality. <laughs> Great. <laughs> And now it has been kind of dubbed, in 1994, it finally becomes dubbed the Nintendo Ultra 64, which was the original name until it becomes Nintendo 64. So that's kind of the, where Nintendo is in, in 1994. In terms of the industry itself, there is kind of this excitement uh, about what the future of games is and, and could be uh, with all these new systems coming out. What's really popular at this time, um, fighting games are really popular. And so oh, I mentioned... Like- uh, like um, Mortal Kombat for yeah. So so also 1994, and this was the game that I was the most excited for, and so this is what I was playing instead of Super Metroid. Okay. Um, at this point was Mortal Kombat 2. The home console release was finally coming out, and I had a Super Nintendo. I didn't have a Genesis, and Mortal Kombat 1 on the Nintendo consoles on Super Nintendo was very censored, mm-hmm. but on this one they were they were giving me all the blood. Oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was so excited. <laughs> that's a catnip for like an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so that's what I was playing. And that's really what was kind of at the top of the sales chart. Fighting games, sports games. We did actually also have, we definitely had, I don't think we had Street Fighter in the house, but I definitely played a bit of Mortal Kombat. I remember playing that on the SNES, even like with my brothers. Because I think, I mean, I, I, I'm sure we weren't like good at that game, but you mm-hmm. could like pick up that game and button mash against like not too hard of an opponent and like have a fun time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Despite the gore, in some ways, a pretty kid-friendly thing. (laughs) Um, I do remember specifically learning how to uppercut scorpion's final uppercut into the pit. (laughs) I remember remember that. I don't know if that's the SNES one, but I, I think that's like one of the few... We would like set up whole matches just to be able to get that fatality at the end. Yeah, so those were incredibly popular at the time. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what I was playing. That's what I was so excited for. I don't, there aren't many games that I anticipated more mm. as a kid and was so ex- more excited for than Mortal Kombat 2 coming okay. to the home because I played in the arcades. Uh, you guys had arcades near you? Yeah, we can talk about this. Okay, all time, right. But... Put another pin well, no, in it. Well, no, we had, we had, so we had an arcade in like an adjacent town and then we had a Mortal Kombat 2 machine in a 7-Eleven okay. near us, which gotcha. is where I played it. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, we, gotcha. We can talk about that in the future. Cool. But yeah, that's what that's what's really exciting. People that was exciting me. So Super Metroid um, for me wasn't really on the radar. But when people talk about it, especially from this time, they're talking. They're kind of excited about it. It's being promoted as the biggest cartridge of all time, and as kind of a, a challenging but like thinking person's action game. Okay, uh, that's kind of a term that shows up a lot in in some of the in some of the previews. So as a kid, I was like, I don't want to think. I just no. want to like, <laughs> rip somebody's head off. I don't sure. know. That was me. Yeah, sure. Metroid, uh, Super Metroid has, had been in development for a while. At the time, there wasn't a ton of... You didn't really get a lot of information as these games were being created like you do now. We, mm. we didn't really see screenshots of it, at least in North America, until after it premiered at the Consumer Electronics Show in 1994 in the winter. So only a few months before it oh. came out. Yeah, that is that is such a foreign experience to me as opposed to as opposed to now like hey everyone, we're remaking Final Fantasy 7. More information coming in 6 years. Yeah. And so it was known that it was being made, but Nintendo Japan was pretty I think tight-lipped especially in terms of North American media at least. Okay. I don't know if the if the Japanese media had more insight into what was going on, but really it's only early 1994 that we start seeing screenshots of it. And so would you have seen that like in Nintendo Power? Like how are you seeing this? That's where I would have seen it okay. for sure. Um okay. And maybe that's a good place for us to pause, take a little break, and look at some of the advertising previews and and promotional material that I would have seen at the time. And possibly you did see some of the TV commercials, you just didn't register them at the time. Yeah, yeah. So everything we're going to be looking at is going to be linked to in the show notes. So if you want to follow along, it'll be there. Uh, But we're going to go take a look and we'll be right back to chat about it. Okay, we're back. So over the break, Michelle looked at some preview articles, some box art, some advertisements, and she's chosen a few samples for us to talk about in a bit more detail. So yeah. uh, what did you uh, what did you find? What stood out to you? I want to talk about this concept art. So the concept art is uh, from Nintendo Power. So that's the uh, that would be January 1994. I think it's the the CES or the the Consumer Electronics Show. Kind of a recap. For me, this probably would have been the first time that I saw anything about Super Metroid. I probably saw this sweetheart uh, turn the page and said, where's where, where are the decapitations? <laughs> <laughs> 
So wait, did you did you know anything about original Metroid or I knew the name and okay. I, right and I knew that people again I knew I, I'm kind of in the same position you are like I knew that people talked about it, they spoke about it with reverence. Okay. Uh, again as a kid it was just not yeah. for me. Um I was never super into space. And yeah and I, and again uh, just like action like I like platformers but this kind of shooty action platformer I think I read it as too uh, as more of like an arcade shooter which I was I knew I was not really good at. I, I probably never read the articles and I just never got a sense that it was actually about exploration. Hmm. And so for me I just uh, no decapitations please yeah it definitely doesn't communicate much about exploration in this this like two-page spread that i'm looking at it has a couple of screen caps that sort of don't show too much understandably like it doesn't really tell me much there's like enemies on screen and all of them like i understand why you would think it was action focused i just like this because a i love this slightly cartoony drawing of this huge nasty green dinosaur guy okay um i don't know what his deal is i just like seeing that nasty green dinosaur nasty green big boy he's got like stuff coming out of his stomach um i love this little weird evil jellyfish thing that we've got it's like got a clear head with like three leechy looking brains inside and like a double sinister parrot beak out the bottom it's a mix between like a bunch of neurons and like a big a bunch of creepy undersea anatomy. I love this boy. Well, uh, can I give you a, a little tiny spoiler? Is it tiny? No, that's a Metroid. Oh, <laughs> I love him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't think that's a reaction you're supposed to have. What are they? Are they like super annoying enemies in the? Well, you'll, you'll see. Okay. 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 Yeah. Don't, don't tell me anymore. Okay. I love him. I, I think he's great. Anything else in this concept art that stands out to you? Yeah, there's this weird bird, hawk, scarab, alien, slightly Turian actually looking thing. Oh my god, um, everything goes back <laughs> to Mass Effect. No, but uh, I like this thing too. I like this thing's anatomy. It actually, the it kind of reminds me, the, the sort of arc of the back and over the front to the face kind of reminds me of like the shape of Samus's suit. Like it's mm. that sort of dome I don't know how to describe it. There's something there's something here that I really like as well. So another thing that Nintendo Power did at this time was they released a set of comics uh, in preparation to get people ready for Super Metroid. Okay. That would give a little bit about the lore. They're not canon, but they still give you enough about the real lore to, to get you ready. That's, and it's stuff that's not necessarily spoken about in the game. One thing you learn um, is that the, these kind of this bird-like race, they're called the Chozo. Okay. And um, they raised Samus. Oh. And oh. Uh, gave her her suit. Cool. Okay. So that totally makes sense because I can absolutely read how this race would have built a suit like that, that like echoes, has a bunch of like architectural echoes. I love that stuff in design where it's like, this is, this is like a group or a race or something like that. And so a lot of what they make has an aesthetic that's mm -hmm. like inspired by their biology. I like that a lot. I don't think you're going to learn a ton about the Chozo from Super Metroid, but maybe in future Metroid games. Ooh. Or if you read the manga. I am not ever <laughs> going to read the manga. Okay. <laughs> that might as well be the subtitle podcast. I will not read the manga. We will not be doing it. Don't send it to me. <laughs> There's only so much effort you'll put in. <laughs> no, that's where I draw the line. The other thing before we move on that's kind of interesting about this preview is that in it, they mentioned that this was supposed to be the end of the Metroid series. This is kind of the last, meant to be the last game. So it would have been a trilogy. Oh, Obviously, that's not the case. It is. I will tell you this, though. It is the second last in the timeline so far. Okay. 
Yeah, so there is kind of a, a Metroid 4 chronologically that comes out later, comes out on the Game Boy Advance. Okay, and are is that the end of the Metroid games, but for the Primes? So there are also the, there are also the Primes. Um, then there's this one called Other M that you might have heard about. I as have the, not. <laughs> oh, as the... Uh, the one that people pretend doesn't exist that came out on the Wii. We don't like that one. So I haven't actually played. I own it. I've never played it because I, I got it on sale. And then kind of right after it was released, I got it on a really good sale and was excited to play it. And then I just heard I just heard kind of the backlash, everybody hating on it. And so maybe one day I can uh, I can go back to it and, and give it my report. Bonus bits. Yeah, because <laughs> it is on the shelf, but I just mm. have not turned it on. So yeah, anything else? So that's so that's kind of that preview concept art. Anything else um, that you saw that you you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, so I guess I kind of together want to talk about the box art and okay. um, this two-page ad with the lamb shanks that you showed me. Okay, so that would have been an ad. Um, I think that one came from Nintendo Power, but that's the, the main ad that they were, one of the main ads they were running about the game, at least in North America. This is wild to me. So this, just to give... So the ad or the box art? Uh, let's talk about the ad. Okay. So it, on the one side, it has like a sheep and it says before Super Metroid. And then below it has lamb shanks on a plate and it says after Super Metroid. <laughs> Why is the sheep playing Super Metroid? This is <laughs> this is so dumb. <laughs> so stupid. And then there's like a full page of ad copy that's like such weird macho bullshit, especially... I just don't associate this kind of presence with Nintendo in the whole right. era that I've been around for. That's because you you don't know about 90s advertising. I'm sure <laughs> learning because, oh boy. Okay, can I actually read through this copy? Just because I feel like to really like, okay. So it happens so fast. One minute you're a cute, fuzzy faced little thing. The next minute, you're served up on a platter with a side of mint jelly. <laughs> Such is the intensity of new Super Metroid for the Super NES. Six new worlds of wilder weapons, weirder weirdos, and those ever-lovable life-sucking. That is highlighted in black. It's black with white writing. Life-sucking Metroid hatchlings. All waiting to turn you into so much dead meat. Luckily, you're Samus Aaron, so you've got more than good looks and a charming personality going for you. Great. Like ice beams, power bombs, super missiles, screw attacks, and other new implements of destruction. In fact, with 24 megs of stuff, it's not just the biggest Metroid game ever, it's Nintendo's biggest game ever. But don't even think about playing it unless you've got a Super NES. Oh, and it wouldn't hurt to have a little of that mint jelly on hand either. And then it's got like a seared, still steaming lamb shank and the Super Nintendo logo. What and is if you, this? If you look closely on the lamb shanks, it says... Oh in, my God. It, it's the, they're kind of smoking. And yeah. It says, the best play here. What does that mean? What is that? This is wild. This is like, this is so far removed from the voice of Nintendo that I'm familiar with now, which is this really like kind of cozy, welcoming, oh, I don't know. This is like, this is so off. Can I actually tell you what the most alienating part of this is? Sure. The tone is wild. Um, <laughs> I like that doesn't even need to be said, but 
this part that's like, luckily, you're Samus, so you've got more than good looks and a charming person. Get out. Like, that is so... It's just like one of these weird moments that tells me that A, obviously you're picturing boys playing this and B, that as much as you are imagining them playing as Samus, you're not imagining them identifying with the main, the protagonist the same way you would be if Samus was a guy. You are Samus, but you also are looking at Samus from the outside. So we still have to like reassure you that... There's still good looks and charm in there. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry. We're not going to make you look at an ugly chick. I hate that. I super, super hate that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like good looking women also, but that this is, I don't like this. (laughs) I think that sucks. (laughs) And it doesn't really jive with what you know about this game, right? Or the way that people talk about it or. No, you're not giving me like um, atmospheric kind of spooky like none of the stuff that i like uh, about what has welcomed me to this game so far is is in this at all like I, who chose this i yeah. don't know this is like we want teenage boys to buy this game but also we hate them i mean and even for me i think this is something else that would have alienated me because this kind of confirms my fears that this is just like a hard action game right which is right, not right, right. what i was really looking for right at that time right also, as much as you would enjoy the blood and stuff in Mortal Kombat, you're not like this kid, right? <laughs> like you you didn't have like spiky hair and call your mom a bitch when you were eight. Like this, you know, like I don't know what kind of little like Bart Simpson wiener they thought they were trying to get, but I this is I don't care for this. Um So what do you think about the box art? The box art I think is really nice, but I do understand how like it doesn't say exploration. It's like Samus shooting Ridley or Ripley, two giant green claws coming for both of them. Yeah, that's your boy that you liked from the from the concept art. <gasps> oh, that's him. Okay. Is he that big? Well, it, it, it's box art. You'll have to see him in the in okay. the game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you don't get a very good sense of scale from the from like concept art or whatever. So yeah, I like this. It just again looks like like a f- this could be the cover of Doom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's that's it's still within that vibe of like, I'm a space marine shooting stuff. That, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So as much as I, I I love the bright, like oversaturated, like almost classic sci-fi colors of this, but yeah, I don't know if this cover would encourage me to pick up the game. And then the other thing you looked at that I think goes a bit hand in hand with the the advertisement with the lamb shanks was the, was the commercial. Oh my God. I watched this on YouTube. It was a TV spot from back in the day. I just, we can't like play it for you. Please go watch it. It's linked in the show notes. I'll just summarize. So you're in a lab facility and it's the scientist who's got, uh, who's talking to you about Metroid and he's got a Rottweiler dog on a chain and whose name is Killer and Killer is going nuts, like barking. The experiment setup, I guess, is Killer fighting the game Super Metroid. So Killer breaks off the chain, runs into this like little room. So you don't see what's happening, but there's a bunch of smoke coming out of it. You just hear combat noises back and forth. This guy is the scientist is telling you. Let's be clear. By scientist, she means like a. Oh, I mean a doofus in a lab coat. And he's like a kid in shorts. Yeah, he's like. Well, he's not a scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this guy's not like even 18. Doogie Howser. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Thank you for that correction. Um. 
He's telling you about how Super Metroid is Nintendo's biggest, hardest game ever, whatever, whatever. Um, and then the door to the room where Killer has been fighting with the with the game opens, and Killer has been transformed into this little tiny Chihuahua that's like shaking in his little booties. And the guy's like, "Perfect, ship it, uh, Super Metroid." Blah blah blah. So it is. So, so dumb <laughs> and so bad. It's just that Lang sh- Lamshanks ad like come to life. And so the thing is, this is very much an American advertising strategy. So we didn't watch it, but I'll link to it in the show notes. The Japanese ad is very much moody space. That's what I want. <laughs> show me the moody space. With, and showing you like Metroid, showing you Samus. That's showing- what I want. <laughs> show me the game. Why? I mean, showing like you them in the kind of live action form. Oh, I want to watch that. I'm going to watch that <laughs> after this is over. But it's a completely different strategy, right? So, and this is one thing I think you want to keep in mind as we go through other things from this period. Okay. Because North American advertising strategies from kind of the 90s through the 2000s, I think you're going to love them. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, none of this makes me want to play this game more than I already did. Are you kind of less excited? I would be if I didn't. I mean, the, the fact that you just told me there's a Japanese ad that is like ambient and atmospheric and stuff that makes me feel like hopefully that's the real game that I'm going to get and so I'm trying I'm trying not to let the ads you just showed okay. me tarnish my good mood okay you know I'm going to section them off I'm going to compartmentalize those and not open that box again I think okay <laughs> we might revisit it after you've played the game sure but we'll wait sure sure, the- sure. So I think you're almost ready to play, but the one other thing I want to talk to you about and ask you is, because um, we didn't look at it yet, but do you want to look at and read the manual before you play? Right, right. So, I mean, I have close to no experience with manuals. Um, yeah, this is, this is uh, Michelle's pretty much only of the time when manuals were the most basic how to put the game in your console and turn on the console instructions. Yeah. Or, or non-existent. She, she's of a time of the in-game tutorial. Yeah, you know, even in this stuff about having to read the comics or, God forbid, the manga um, before playing a game, all this stuff where there's all these sources of information and context that are external to the game that you sort of have to engage with in order to get the most out of the game, that is very foreign to me. Like I, so <laughs> we had this experience <laughs> yeah. playing Mega Man 2 where we talked about the manual, um, because I'm not used to a manual being a thing that I would care about at all. And yeah, I told Michelle that she she should probably refer to the manual and she did. Well, I skimmed it at first, but I kind of was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I was playing Mega Man 2 and Dimitri was watching me from the couch and I kept picking things up, sort of not fully knowing what they were. And I'd be playing along and Dimitri would be like, why aren't you using that thing you picked up? And I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And then like he'd open the manual to a page that explains what the thing that I just picked up was. And I'd be like, oh, but why didn't the game just tell me that? Why didn't you put it in the game? Just in the tell manual. me what it is. Because it's in the manual and you'd know that because you'd read it on the way home from the store. <laughs> Or from the, I downloaded from it the off the shop. internet on like Switch. Like we don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess Michelle this is like have... this is the different context, yeah. right? 
Yeah, she doesn't have any of the experience of of that anticipation that the manual would create and that you'd read it on the way home or even after you open the package before turning the game on that it would kind of whet your appetite, but also give you a lot of flavor text. Um, Okay, I like flavor text. Yeah, you like flavor text. I love flavor. It gives you a lot of, in some cases, very necessary information. I I guess, like what some of your weapons do and how to use them. So one thing I can tell you is that... um, in one of the reviews for this game, actually, so I'll tell you this up front, the, the reviewer actually implored the reader not to read the manual. Oh. And and to leave most of the surprises to the game itself. And I guess that would be not typical for the time. No, at least in, in my experience, I don't remember any reviews telling me don't read the manual. Was that like for what we would call spoilers today? Like, is that the reason? Pretty much, yeah. And and so in a lot of these manuals, too, I think we just had a different relationship to spoilers of what counted as a spoiler. For me, like the pleasure of a lot of reading the manuals would be seeing what the enemies are and maybe getting a little um, some little flavor text to get me excited to actually see them in the game, what they look like in the game. Right. In a lot of cases and in the case of Super Metroid, they actually show you what all the bosses look like. Oh, that's big. Yeah. And and again, with like some flavor text beside them to get you excited. And do they look, is it like the sprites or do they have like... No, they're drawing. So okay. it's actually really nice art in a lot of these manuals. So you'd actually want to look at the art because it's pretty beautiful. Cool. And then so you still don't know exactly what it's going to look like in, in the, game, the game. right? Or like when it's coming, like what's this mm-hmm. going to be when I actually see it? I mean, in the case of the Super Metroid one, they actually separate enemies and bosses by the locations that you'd see them so you actually do kind of know where you're going to see oh, them whoa um and they give you for the bosses they'll give you maybe a little clue on how you could defeat him that is so much information yeah that i think people would not be interested in today no. a lot of but yeah for me as a as a as a kid it was it was incredibly exciting to to kind of have in my imagination what i was going to see and then to see if the game actually lived up to that or surprised me in other ways that's cool. Now, I kind of I kind of get that. I mean, I it, first of all, it's really interesting to see how the culture around like what a spoiler is or how we relate to receiving different kinds of information before we actually get our own hands on a game. I mean, I don't I don't like love being spoiled for really big things, but I think I'm in general less careful about spoilers than a lot of people. I think a a good game or a good story or a good twist should be strong enough and interesting enough mm-hmm. that even if you know kind of that something's coming, the the how and the why of it and the experience of it is still particular and interesting enough to stand on its own. So I'm not I'm not like the most anti-spoiler. Right. Like I I very much want to know what a game is, what the premise is, what I'm gonna be kind of doing before I get into it. Okay. So maybe for this game we can um you can read a little, some bits and pieces of the manual. We can have a kind of a curated experience before okay. you go in. So this game, the three kind of Metroid, then Samus Returns in this one are all kind of very direct sequels. Oh, okay. It would be useful, I think, for you to have a little bit of a context of what happened in the past. Okay. The game does give you a little bit of that, but the the manual really does give you the the breakdown of what happened in the previous games. Okay. So maybe read some of that. Okay. Before you start playing, just to have a in your mind where where you're going because you really are you're actually going back to the site of metroid one this planet zebes oh. <laughs> that that's a great like like corny sci-fi <laughs> planet name like what's this planet i don't know put a z in <laughs> zeb zebes we got it nailed it and so that's kind of important that you're going back and you're sure. revisiting this this location from the first game sure and maybe just since you've already seen in that concept art that that big green guy yeah so his name is craid okay 
Um, just to give you a sense of what you're missing out on if you don't read the manual, maybe I can give you the flavor text for for his entry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you already okay, have good. seen him yeah. spoiled yeah. elsewhere. Okay. Okay. So it says, Craig, the boss of Brinstar. <laughs> okay. Okay. It says, the giant lizard of Brinstar attacks Samus with thorny projectiles and spits spheres out of its mouth. <laughs> Well, is it in this era of game stuff? We're just like, he spits spheres. What are the spheres made of? I don't know. Don't touch them. They'll kill you. <laughs> it's just like, they're spheres. They're dangerous. Don't worry about it. And then here's a little clue. Here's a little clue it gives you. It says, no weapons, beams, missiles, or bombs have any effect on its body. The creature's weak point is unknown. So, okay, here's what I, here's what I think reading that. I think that after this, because of how my dumb brain works, what I will remember is the phrase giant lizard of Brinstar. Okay. And what I will forget is all the instructional <laughs> context about how to fight him. <laughs> so I think like I retain lore like a sponge, like that just gets like in me. And I think I, I don't always retain like game mechanic stuff. So I think like in a weird way, I could probably read a lot of this manual without really feeling like the gameplay is spoiled. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. Actually, I have an important question about okay. the manual. Is there lore or context that I won't be able to get from the game, whether it's about like locations or enemies or whatever, if I don't read the manual? Like, will I be missing out on some of that stuff if I don't read the whole thing? Debatable. Like, I think you'll get most of it okay. just through visual storytelling okay like environmental storytelling but okay there is extra flavor here so maybe it's something that you want to refer to as you go through it so once you start encountering certain creatures in an area then going back and read the flavor about them okay or maybe yeah like the... as i'm coming into a new area even like realizing that i'm in a new space yeah. like go read that section or something and like i think that. anytime you encounter kind of a new get a new object or a new item or some kind of improvement um, you might want to refer to that in the manual just to make sure that you're very clear about what it does. Okay. Yeah. I learned that lesson from from the Mega, Mega Man, Man experience. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So I guess probably I will start out reading the manual. I'll read the the context history stuff, a bit about control, and then I may I may just stop at a point when I'm getting into enemies and that and then crack it open later again as I'm going through. Yeah. Refer to it as like it is a helpful document. Okay. okay. All right. And so this is something we talked about this in episode zero, but we should reiterate here is that ideally in all these games, Michelle is going to try to limit herself to whatever resources were available at the time. Mm -hmm. If she gets stuck, she can refer to, for example, maps from Nintendo Power or from other publications, or even right the, if she can get her hands on the official player's guide, Ooh. go ahead, but no game facts. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. Before you do play, there are some things I'd like you to think about so we can talk about them after you've played. Okay. And then we'll do some rapid fire predictions and then uh, we'll send you on your way. So just some things to to think about. Um, one, does it really conform to your expectations about what this Metroidvania genre, not genre is? Okay. Second thing to think about is this This kind of relates to this question of atmosphere. So the, the director of the game said that he wanted to make a, a cinematic game. And so does this game... 
or is this game a cinematic game or would you describe it as such? Okay. And um, that's like me looking through my 2019 eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so is it still cinematic? What would have made it maybe cinematic in the time? This is something I want to tease out a bit more than ne- in the next episode, because there was a lot of debate within the games media and even internally in the industry about what the relationship between games and movies is. It's something that I think we think is a much more recent conversation, but it was happening big time in 1994. And so this is one attempt to make something that's cinematic that's not that doesn't include like literal cutscenes or like cinematic cutscenes or like full motion video. Okay. And it's also or, not or like being oh, a movie tie. And it's not also a movie tie. Okay. So those are kind of the two poles that are going out at the time. And this is a, a different attempt to make something quote unquote cinematic. Okay. And then finally, maybe think about how the way you're playing the game can contribute to this atmosphere. So in one of the in one of the reviews, actually the same one that tells you don't use a manual, it suggests that you play this game as though you're watching a late night movie, sound up, lights off. Oh, cool. And so maybe you could try that for at least part of it to see if that actually influences uh, how how you receive the game, how you experience it. Yeah, I will 100% do that. That makes a lot of sense to me and sounds really, really great. Okay, finally, some uh, rapid fire predictions. Yes, hit me. We can compare next time to see... Uh, to see how right I am. Yeah. Come on. Okay, so here we go. The first one. So there's a boss in this game and his name is Fantoon. Okay. What do you think he looks like? Okay, I think that he is like what we would now call kind of like an orientalist design, like a okay, like I think with yeah, with like some some like based on traditional trappings of like Japanese or Chinese, like fan. No, no, sort of oh, no, not no, P H A N T O O N. Like a giant <laughs> fan coming after you? I don't know. I was like, there's always some weird Orientalist garbage in like sci-fi stuff of this of this period. Okay. I'm actually glad that it's not that one. Okay, so P H A N still could be, but it could it could be. Probably um, not a giant fan coming <laughs> no, after you. I wasn't saying that okay, whatever. Okay, so P H A N. Um Okay, I think it's something slightly ghostly. So either something that has like maybe a bit of like a teleport ability around the screen or like has moments when it sort of goes like translucent and you can't hit it with weapons and you have to like wait for it to re-solidify. Something like that. Something that like evokes ghostly like phantom stuff. Okay. Yeah. Next question. What what do you expect the environment to look like? So you're on the planet Zebus. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think it'll be in a base. Like I think like underground or metal connected by tunnels. I think no vegetation on this planet. Okay. No plants. Maybe other life form. Well, yeah, because there's gonna be smaller enemies that aren't like the bosses. I don't know if those will be like sapient or if they'll just be like hostile life forms that like don't have a mission they're just they just fight you or whatever and maybe there'll be maybe the underground base will like surface at some points and have some surface like i could picture there being like one of those sci-fi arctic bases that's like a dome okay about you know what i mean and it's all like enclosed in and like the storm is outside but like inside like the the research facility or whatever something like that but i'm picturing like arid no plants and then a lot of it like in the base or underground okay cool yeah okay so those weren't super rapid fire but now rapid fire prediction okay (laughs) 
Will you encounter a rival bounty hunter? <gasps> rival bounty. So Samus is a bounty hunter. Sure, I'll give you that. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. I need to write these better. <laughs> okay, so Are now you I know. Encounter what- a rival. Uh, yes. Okay. At the end of the game, you'll get your completion percentage in okay. terms of the percentage of items that you found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you predict it will be? 72. What do you think your completion time will be? Under three hours, three to 10 hours, or over 10 hours? Over 10. Okay. And those yeah. will coincide with the different endings. Oh, shit. Really? Okay. I hate this because I assume the faster endings are better, but like I'm playing this through and I want to look at, like I'm going to be pausing to look at stuff and like- right- By ending, we mean uh, levels of undress. Oh, no. Like, there's there's no substantive change in this case. So maybe if you're okay, over I'm 10... Gonna, I'm going to be over three hours on purpose. Then. <laughs> okay. I hate this. <laughs> and finally, because I think you do know about this game through your encounters with speedrunning, though I don't... It, clearly, you haven't really taken much in. <laughs> but I think one thing you do know, save or kill the animals. Oh, from, from Games Done Quick. Yeah. Okay. And so are you going to save or kill the animal? So I know this is a big thing in Games Done Quick. I actually always forget that it's from Super Metroid, and I probably still wouldn't have remembered if you hadn't brought it up just now. Obviously, I'm going to save the animals because A, I'm not speedrunning. I don't need to like save frames. And B, uh, I'm a big softy with animals, and I would feel like garbage if I didn't save them. Okay. So let's hope that you do that and that you don't miss them. They're missable? Well, you can save or kill them. <laughs> Well, I have to Let's save you them. you figure out what to do. Oh, no. Like, it's not obvious? <laughs> Your face right now. <laughs> like, I just, like, dread. I just got filled with dread. I just became so anxious. Okay. And it, I'll back. figure it out. I'll figure it out. Okay. I think we'll leave things there so you can start playing. Awesome. I'm really excited about this one. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can find updates and show notes at neverwasagamer.com. Follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. And since we're just getting started, if you have any comments, anything you liked, any suggestions, please feel free to reach out. We'd be really excited to hear from you. Um, and of course, you can rate and review us on any podcast platform, including iTunes or tell a friend. Yeah, so thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time when Michelle will have hopefully completed Super Metroid Mm -hmm. and will be one step closer to achieving her dream (laughs) of becoming a gamer. 